It's the beginning of December, and while the rest of civilization is getting into the joyous spirit of Christmas, I'm stuck here working on this stupid list. You know the one, the what do you want for Christmas list. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. So what do you want for Christmas this year? You hear it from your spouse, parents, aunts, mother-in-law, and assorted other relatives. And the requests start already at the end of October. Pumpkins aren't even out of the field yet, and it's, what do you want for Christmas? Just send me your list. It seems so simple, right? But getting there is the problem. How do I decide what I want for Christmas? Every time I'm honest, well, this year I'd really like a new SUV and a trip to South France. Of course, they just chuckle and say, no, really, just make a list and let me know what you want for Christmas. Okay, really? What do I want for Christmas? That is what I want. So I try to be practical, come up with boring things, and list things like shirts, underwear, a socket wrench set. Actually, I've never owned a socket wrench set. Not really sure what I'd do with it if I had one, but it sounds like a nice Christmas gift. If I try to make my requests fun and exciting, I usually end up with nothing on my list. Then they ask for the kids list, which is easy when they're young. Each year it gets more difficult to make that list up too. I mean, what is the newest iPhone anyway? So here I am still working my list. I keep coming up with things that you can't, that can't be delivered by Amazon and aren't available in stores and honestly kind of seem impossible. But it's what I really want. It's all about life and what excites me and, and yet frustrates me at the same time. It's what motivates me to take the next step. It's what I hope for each Christmas. A family that gets along, shares, talks, and laughs together. A relationship with Jesus that feels fresh and vibrant. A new and improved singing voice, but don't we all? Wisdom so I don't keep repeating things in my life that don't work out. Focus so I don't feel like I'm pulled in a hundred different directions. Some good news in a world filled with so much sadness and despair. And to make a difference. So there you have it. How do you put all that on a list and email it to your Aunt Josie? So now I'll ask you, beyond the material goodies that you may or may not find in your Christmas stocking on December 25th, what's really on your list? What do you want for Christmas? Thanks, Sam. Is there something that you're waiting for? When you think about just something on your heart that maybe you've You've given to God or you're not sure how to put into words, but you know that you're waiting. And you're waiting for good news. I want to go back to uh, 2001. And uh, that was the year that, that my wife, Janelle, and I, we were expecting our first kid. And when you're expecting your first kid, you're in this like long series of waiting. 
And every time you go to the doctor, you're thinking, okay, this could be bad news, but we really hope it's good news. And you're waiting each time. Hope it's good news. Hope it's good news. It was mid-December, and uh, this was about three months after the world had experienced 9-11. And so again, sort of in this season of man, anything good would be great right now because our world had just come through 9-11. And so uh, it was finally the day, and we looked at each other, and we thought, this is going to be it. And so we went in, and uh, the doctor said we had to wait. We weren't quite ready. And so we walked halls for a long time, and we waited. Finally, finally, it was time for labor. And uh, we waited because everything was kind of wrong and the baby was not facing the right way. And so the doctor told us we just had to wait. And then you're looking at the doctor thinking, I'm just looking for some good news here. Are we on the right track? We didn't know whether it was a girl or a boy, so we were waiting on that news and anticipation. And, and finally, finally, the baby, here, here she came. And then that, that picturesque, uh, picture of, you know, the mom holding the child after birth uh, didn't happen for us because uh, nurses had to come in and, and whisk her away and, and work on her for a little while and make sure she was okay. And so we were in the labor room without our kiddo after she was born, waiting, waiting on good news. We eventually, a couple hours later, were finally all reunited in our room, and, and everything was good. We had good news, and Peyton was born. Those, those things in our lives, uh, there's this emotional reaction that we're having, and we remember it forever, it seems, and there's this body reaction, and we remember what our bodies were going through, and there's these big moments in life that sometimes we find ourselves waiting for, looking, looking for good news. And so this Christmas, maybe there's something you're waiting for, hoping that there's good news. And, and more than just the package that got lost in the mail, you're waiting on that, I'm sure. But beyond that, something that's heartfelt, that's life-changing. If, if you're in a student in school, you might be waiting to find out if you passed a certain test. Or you might be waiting to find out if you made the cast in the play or you made a sports team. Or maybe waiting to hear if you got into a college. Or later on, maybe you're waiting to find out if you got a job or a promotion. Maybe you're waiting on a relationship for it to blossom or to be over. Maybe you're waiting to hear from a friend who stopped talking to you. Maybe you're waiting to hear from a sibling or a parent or a child who walked away from the last conversation in anger. Maybe you're waiting in the middle of a scary health situation and you're just hoping that there is good news in it. Maybe you're waiting on pregnancy, waiting on a birth, waiting on an adoption, waiting on a court hearing with a foster son or daughter in your home, waiting to find out if there will be good news. Anything good to hang on to. Something that, that gives you a sense of relief and, and a sense that hope is peaking its light into whatever is going on. Maybe this Christmas in the middle of Christmas parties and Christmas shopping, uh, there's just a moment where you're able to sit down and call a time out and talk with God about the things that you're truly hoping and waiting for. 
To Zechariah, the soon father of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the angel said, I have been sent to speak to you and tell you there's good news. To Mary, the mother of soon-to-be-born Jesus, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, the shepherds said. James 1 sums it up in this sentence. And Some of you know this by heart. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. And we see time and time again, as Scripture tells and retells, kind of a dark situation where suddenly good news is put into, and the author behind it is God. Good news. Uh, Another way of looking at good news would be the term glad tidings. That comes up sometimes in scripture, sometimes in song. And even the word gospel is completely rooted in the word good news. Sometimes in our ministry meetings, we'll be meeting together and we'll say, let's focus on the gospel. Let's make the gospel the focus here. Let's center everything around the gospel. And what we're saying is, let's center it around the good news that God has given us, that Jesus brought to us. Good news. A commentary said, said this, that in the New Testament, the authors use this term, whether it's glad tidings or the gospel, uh, to mean the news of salvation, the breaking free from sin, the healing, the brokenness, and a restored relationship with God. Sometimes this was for the community, the people, and sometimes for the individual. The Hebrew people knew the term well, but they didn't always experience it. They, they talked about it, and, and they celebrated the good news of God, but sometimes things were bleak. You can think about the Exodus when they were finally freed from being slaves in Egypt, only to run into the, to a sea, only to be saved again as they got through the sea, and the Egyptian army drowned. Then they waited and waited for good news as they wandered 40 years in the desert. Good news would come in the form of a wonderful promised land that they were going to enter. Later on, they established themselves in this land, and they established Jerusalem, the center, and they even established the temple, the center of Jerusalem. But then darkness fell again, and the good news seemed to be officially over. And about 600 years before Jesus, after one corrupt king after another... Both the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed, and the Hebrews were drug away like slaves again. Their homeland in ruins and their faith practices squashed. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Darkness had descended on the people and the land. Foreign, foreign rulers ruled them now. And a prophet named Isaiah speaks up. Isaiah dares to dream big dares to claim that God was still around and God was still working and that the God that they served was a God of good news. Isaiah 52. He penned this maybe to give us hope, maybe to just cue us in that good news was not done. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace 
good tidings, salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. You might know some of the stories of God's faithfulness during this time period. In, in Sunday school, a fun story is certainly Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which would have came from this time period, as well as Queen Esther and her faithfulness in helping save the people. God was not done working. And the people of God, at least Isaiah, weren't stopped. They weren't done believing. So stop right there. Just take a time out. As you wait for good news this Christmas, is God still working? Is there a hope that peace, good tidings, and salvation would somehow stream through? Have you had an honest conversation with God about what this good news is that you're waiting on? And as you wait, do you wait in belief or disbelief? Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Isaiah is, is proclaiming this over the people who are hoping to get out of a desperate situation and maybe return to their homeland, maybe to be out from underneath the thumb of these mean rulers that they were under. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These people he was speaking to were poor. They were broken. They were captives. Isaiah has a faith that God isn't done with them yet. God had said it would be 70 years, and the prophet Isaiah said it would be 70 years, and it was. They would return to their homeland. They would begin to rebuild. They would begin to enjoy the freedom to worship. Fast forward 500 years. These people, these Hebrews, they're now part of the Roman Empire. And, and their area is ruled by King Herod, which we would call a puppet king, a king that's, that's over the Hebrews um, but yet answers to the Romans and, and tries to keep everything calm and collective in his area while he also lives off the spoils of the land. These are Jesus' people, and they are waiting. They are waiting on good news. King Herod will do anything to protect his throne. He will tax them like crazy. He will march troops all about. Any, any sense of disloyalty, and you will be dead. He took the life of one of his ten wives. He took the life of three sons to make sure that he reigned supreme. How can good news get into this situation? Get this. It came through a poor peasant family supported by a band of shepherds. The Roman army, the greatest army, the biggest nation on earth at that time. With King Herod watching over the Hebrews so closely. A few things, as you, as you hear or read the Christmas story, I want you to think about what was going on in that time period. And, and I think it's fascinating that Luke right away talks about Caesar at the beginning of the Christmas story. Kind of calling out that, that Caesar's in charge, but watch what happens next. The angels, they not only proclaim peace to the shepherds, but they proclaim peace on earth. 
to all people. And Anna, age 84, a prophetess in the temple, she would prophesy as Jesus came there that this baby would free Jerusalem from Roman rule. There was good news just woven in and out of the gospel and the Christmas story as we read it. And the people waited. They waited on good news. They waited in anticipation of these five things happening. Prophecies from the Old Testament. One, that a star would rise. That there would, two, that there would be a Bethlehem birth. The same region that King David had been born in a thousand years before. Three, that there would be a direct descendant of David. Four, that powerful men would travel from far away to worship. And five, his mother would be a virgin. And so a poor peasant family supported by a band of shepherds were about to shake history. In the center of the map of one of the largest empires this earth has ever known. With good news for all men and women. Good and amazing news was wrapped up, swaddled tight, lying in a manger. And only a few knew about it at first. It started to leak out. The good news had arrived. The good news slipped through the fingers of King Herod and his police and army. This good news, this glad tiding, this gospel grew up and became a man and went off to be tested in the wilderness before coming back and calling his disciples and beginning his ministry. Jesus became a rabbi in the Jewish tradition, but became a very untraditional rabbi with his words and actions. So the trivia this morning is, do you know the first recorded Bible reading that Jesus did? In his town of Nazareth. The very first time that he would have stood up and it was recorded that he read. Let's go back to Isaiah 61. Again, I said this is what Isaiah had to say to his people. In the middle of their captivity. Not knowing if they would ever return to their homeland or find peace again. I'm not going to read from Isaiah 61. I'm going to read straight from Luke 4, but I want you to just glance at the words of Isaiah as I read. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was the custom. He stood to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, referring to himself. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. The good news had arrived. The good news had showed up. Emmanuel, God in flesh, a hope that would last even beyond this time and place that it occurred in. That it would last longer than the rule of Rome, last longer than the ruler named Caesar, And it would bring peace and restoration to all people across our globe. In John 1, 14 in the message, 
reads like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes and the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I invite the band on up. And I invite you to stand up as if you're welcoming this good news, as if you're meeting and shaking hands with the good news. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to read Romans 1.16 together. And again, they're going to use the word gospel here, um, but also think of the words glad tidings and good news as it's linked to the Christmas story as we read this together. Read it with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. I leave you with this as you stand. The early Christians and what they believed when they referred to the good news, um, this is what they would have often been thinking about, talking about, and proclaiming. One, The good news is the foundational spirit of daily living. It is what helps us get through each day. Two, it elicits courage admits suffering. And three, it requires an obedient following, a response on our part to this good news. And fourth, its proclamation transcends time and space. May good news meet you in the month of December.